my name is Rebecca Naylor. Um, I spent my career as a missionary surgeon in the country of India, uh, working in the Bangalore Baptist Hospital in South India. Um, from uh, all the years that I spent there, uh, church planting was very much a part of the ministry of the hospital, and I was personally involved. And the last 10 years of my uh, missionary career, uh, I was responsible for strategies for church development and church planting in our state in South India, which uh, had then a population of about 55 million people. Uh, today it's bigger than that. Uh, so this morning our um, topic is medical mission to church planting. And we're going to talk about how those two go together. And not only do they go together, they must go together. So the things we're going to talk about, as followers of Jesus Christ, what is our mission? As healthcare professionals, what is our role in making disciples of Jesus? How is medical mission strategic? Um, we need to understand that. And then finally... Can a medical mission lead to church planting? So I hope by the end of the session this morning, uh, these questions will be clearly answered for you. And um, then you can move forward with what it means in your own life. Um, What is our vision? And I would say that our vision comes from Revelation 7, chapter uh, chapter 7, verse 9. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. That is our ultimate vision. So, what is our mission? It is that all peoples may worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, From Psalm 67 May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you rule the peoples justly and guide the nations of the earth. Our mission is that all may worship and glorify God. Well, what is our model? Well, Jesus is our model. And uh, these verses in Matthew 9 are just some of my favorite verses. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. And you remember the next verse says that he looked out and he saw all the crowds of people, and he was filled with compassion because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And as you read through the Gospels and the many instances in which Jesus dealt with spiritual need and or physical need, the majority of times it was both. It was physical and it was spiritual. He gave us instructions. And in Luke chapter 9, when he sent out the twelve disciples, he called them together. He gave them power and authority to drive out demons, cure diseases, and he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and heal the sick. 
And you see that both are joined together. Um, proclamation and demonstration put together very well in our instructions. And then, of course, there's our mandate, which we can see in multiple places. Um, you know, every gospel has a commission. And then Acts 1.8, but the one we most usually quote as the Great Commission is from Matthew 28. And he told us to make disciples of all nations. So we've been given that mandate that we, we are to follow. So, where do I fit? We have a vision. We have a mission. We have the model of Jesus. We have his mandate. We have his instructions. So as a Christ follower and a healthcare professional, what about me? First of all, right where you are, in your work, introducing patients and colleagues to Jesus Christ. Um, making disciples happens wherever you are. Uh, looking for those opportunities that God gives you in which you can share your faith. Uh, it, I've had a lot of uh, medical colleagues, uh, believers, who've said to me, well, you know, I'm going to take uh, good care of my patients. I'm going to be kind, compassionate, and I'll demonstrate the love of Jesus. Wonderful. I, he must, yes. That's absolutely true. And, but then he would say, uh, I'll let somebody else do the talking. I don't know how. That is not correct. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, and we are to share Jesus Christ. So, both together. Then moving beyond your work, where you, your job or your place of study, into the community around you. Uh, there are so many opportunities that you as a healthcare professional have a unique uh, role in serving your community and in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Especially larger cities will have uh, some kind of volunteer uh, free clinics, charitable clinics, where you could volunteer your service. That's an example. Something through a ministry, through your church. Um, there would be many opportunities. And then going beyond and looking at the whole world, um, Short-term opportunities, long-term opportunities. What is the place that God would have you to fill? So when we think of being followers of Jesus and being health care professionals, we think of um, our work, we think of our community and of our world. What is really, according to Scripture, our role? Well, in Ephesians it says that we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do, before ever we knew. And that's so exciting. And then we are to share the gospel story. So again, we see proclamation, and we see demonstration. We see preaching, and we see healing, and that is the responsibility, basically, of every believer. And certainly, as healthcare professionals, we have such a unique uh, opportunity to do that. Um, so, now let's move along in our questions. Is 
medical mission strategic. And I want to look at this from two viewpoints. One, physically. Is it strategic? And then, spiritually. Is it strategic? Okay, physically. Um, and, and you're aware of many of these things. The number of people, almost a billion people, are just chronically hungry. They are undernourished. There is tremendous lack of food for these people. That is a huge need in our world. Clean water. Uh, over a billion people officially without clean water. Well, I always say I think this is very conservative uh, in a figure. Uh, governments obviously are going to report the very best that they can, and how they define clean water may not be clean water. And so a lot more people than that would be having this problem. Uh, something like TB, almost 10 million new cases every year of tuberculosis, uh, a huge physical problem. Um, children under five who die every year. Uh, you know, I read somewhere that every day 16,000 children die of some hunger-related, malnutrition-related cause. Um, you know, we were big in the news this week is that plane crash in, in the Middle East. And 200 and some odd people were killed. And, and days we have headlines. 16,000 children dying every day. And who knows? You know, we, we ignore it. Um, malaria, still a major problem and a major cause of death, especially among children. In Africa, um, HIV, uh, how many millions of people are living with HIV in our world and two million deaths a year? Well, what about spiritually? Um, is medical mission strategic? And this is really getting to the crux of the matter. When we think of the world, um, there's somewhere near 12,000 people groups. Ethno-linguistic groups through which the gospel can move without a barrier. Most usually a common language, a common culture. Out of that, there are over 6,000 of those with less than 2% evangelical Christians. And out of those, half of them are what we say are unengaged. There is no person, no church, no organization actively engaged in leading them to faith, congregating them, and getting a reproducing church established. So this is the spiritual situation of our world. Let's put it in another context. The restrictions on religion are increasing. The number of places in our world where you just, you know, they won't allow you to speak or you can't get there or whatever, it's increasing. If you look at high, very high, or moderate restriction on religion, more than half the countries in the world fall into those categories. But what is really impressive is this statistic. Three-fourths of the world's population, people, live in a place where there is very high or high restriction on religion. They're difficult to access, so how are we going to get to them? How will they hear about Jesus? Another way to look at this um, that you can understand 
The restrictions on religion may be from the government, laws, and or they may be social from the people, not official, but there. A country like Canada is very low, both government and social restrictions. Unfortunately, our country has moved out of that category, and we face moderate government restriction and moderate social restriction on our witness. Uh, You take a country like China, they have a huge amount of government restriction, lots of laws. But socially, the people are open, and we're seeing response to the gospel, and they are not hostile toward the gospel. Then you see a country like India, where I've spent my life. Um, There is moderate government restriction. There are laws. But the social opposition to the gospel is huge. And the persecution is coming from right-wing Hindu fundamentalists. Um, The police turn a blind eye and just pay no attention. But the real, the, the actual confrontations and abuse and uh, murders are happening socially, not from the government. And then, of course, you have a country like Saudi Arabia. It's big-time opposition, both from the government and socially. Now, unreached, unengaged people groups. We said there are over 3,000. Two-thirds, more than two-thirds of them are in places where there is opposition, restriction on religion. And then one-third of them are where there's both government and social opposition. So how do we get to them? What is our access? So I think we can see that health care is a way that we can access in these places where there is so much restriction. We all know as healthcare people about ABCs. Unfortunately, they've changed the order, but we still talk about them. Airway, breathing, circulation. Uh, Now they've changed the order, but they're still fundamentals, the basics. Just like your kids, you teach them the very basic ABCs. So in a church planting strategy, there are basics. Um... Really, this is the basics for any church planting strategy, and it very much applies to health care. So, A, access. You have to get to the people. If you don't get to the people, you surely can't plant churches. In these restricted places, you need to get to a place where it's safe and you are able to communicate the gospel. Probably one-on-one. C can stand for caring for needs. It could also stand for communication. Um, And one of my colleagues, uh, who's an anthropologist, likes to say that C also stands for contextualization, uh, putting the gospel into the context of the uh, receiving people. But very basically, caring for needs and communication. Making disciples. And we know we're told to do that. And then finally, empowering the church. These are the basic fundamentals of a church planning strategy. 
So when you think of methodologies, you think of approaches, what would fit these? You think of a project you're going to do, will it fit these? Is it strategic? There's no point in just going on a trip for a week and doing something. Uh, yes, you'll meet some needs, but, you know, it'll, they'll come again. And what is the long-term strategy? So looking into more depth at these, what is access? It is not just the ability to show up. It's sustained, the ability to keep going back over time, um, to come and go without suspicion. Somebody said it's the people are now sitting on the edges of their seats, which could be a chair or a cushion or the floor, uh, waiting to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, access should be approved by authorities. It should be valid. It should be credible. If you say you're going there to check blood pressures for a week, we'll do that and have a way to follow up. It should be valid. Um, nationals are a key. Uh, this is a country in Central Asia that's very restricted, and I just use it as an example. Um, all kinds of, of ways that they get access, and if you notice, nearly every one of them is health care. Um, one worker is working in a local hospital, a government hospital. Uh, one worker started a nurse's training program in a very remote rural place. Uh, one, and I'll talk more about this in a moment. A directly observed therapy TB program was a wonderful access uh, another doctor is training family practice physicians, nationals in the country. Uh, basic life support skills, another program that they're doing to train uh, remote people in newborn care. Dental hygiene project. They went into schools and first taught the teachers proper toothbrushing and whatever. And in turn, the children... And they gave little dental kits, you know, toothbrush, toothpaste. And then they went to homes and followed up with parents. Uh, a great strategy, very simple. Uh, another project they had was uh, dealing with special needs children, and that was in homes. Behind closed doors, intimate conversation without interruption or threat. And it's not so much the threat to you as it is the threat to the person that you're talking to. Who, who if, if his family even knew that he was listening to something about Jesus, it could be the end. Um, nationals, again, are very much the key to this. This was a project in South Asia in a large urban area, and uh, a nurse and a couple of national ladies, not health care, uh, went into this slum, and they identified the most severely malnourished children. Uh, 32 families were uh, involved, and they did the education and the feeding and, uh, you know, all that happened. They had to, of course, keep going back and see how the child was doing and, you know, weigh the child and talk about health. And meanwhile, they were telling stories. And over 18 months, a third of the families became believers. So this gave access. They got behind closed doors in a home. That's the usual place. It could be in a clinic where it's just the health care person and the, and the patient. Um, and they cared for needs, and they made disciples. And now, 
subsequently, the empowering the church is going on. They've started groups and they're training leaders. Um, caring for needs is something we do well. We're trained to do that. We like to do that. We want to do that. And we respond pretty immediately. Um, and one thing to always remember, it should be the needs as perceived by the community. Uh, we come in and, uh, you know, to us, from our Western viewpoint, it's very obvious they need whatever. Well, they may not see that at all, and if you tried to do it, they'd either throw you out or, you know, not follow up with whatever it was you tried to make them do. So needs that the community sees as a priority. Disciple-making. Preach the good news of the kingdom and disciple new believers. And remember that disciples multiply. You want disciples that make more disciples because you're not going to be there forever. And they need to multiply. Uh, This was a nurse practitioner in Africa. She observed um, three government clinics in her location who were basically giving poor care and had very few medicines. And she went and said, you know, I'm willing to volunteer help. Would you like for me to help? And meanwhile, she partnered with a local congregation of believers who said, we'll go hang out in the clinics and uh, have opportunity to talk to people. One year, over a 1,000 new believers. And the church is discipling them and starting groups and training leaders. So it's all the way from A, B, C, D, E in that one example. Empower the church, organize the disciples, train leaders, and release them to the world. That's basically what, what this means. Um, new churches that reproduce from the beginning. That's in their DNA. Lay leaders arising from the groups. You train the leaders. Nationals are carrying on the ministry. And you keep moving on. Uh, this was a Bible school in China, actually. And... Uh, The students in the Bible school um, had a vision to reach some villages around that city, but they couldn't get access. So they were taught health education stories. And they offered the education to the village leaders who said, okay, you can come and tell those stories. So they went out, and the end result of that project was Three new communities opened, 250 homes entered, 128 new believers, one church, and these future leaders were equipped. That's empowering the church. Um, So we have, as health care professionals, as I see it, a very unique role. A health care professional can cross every geographic barrier. You can work in the biggest urban place. You can work in the most remote village. And they all need you. So, all geographic barriers. From the wealthiest person, the government official, the most elite, to the poorest, illiterate, remote villager. You can cross all those barriers. Nobody else can. Cultural barriers, you're able to cross those as well. Very unique. No other profession can do it. And you have almost immediately 
within minutes a trust relationship that will allow you to communicate the gospel. And nobody else can achieve that. So even as we talk about a healthcare professional having such a wonderful role that's so unique, I remind you that when given opportunity, it puts a lot of responsibility on us. We must do it. If we have these kinds of privileges, we need to be capitalizing on them. This, I wanted to tell you a little more now about a few examples. We'll have time for some questions at the end. Um, this program uh, was in a Central Asian country. There were no believers, okay, in this people. Very remote place. And they started, TB was terrible, and they started a directly observed therapy program for TB. And so what they did was to train over 3,000 community workers. That's 3,000 villages. Now, it would have been even more wonderful had there been some believers among those 3,000. That would have been an even better strategy, but they didn't have any. So they trained these people whose job it was to identify people in the village with TB and to observe every day that they swallowed their pills appropriately. Um, the national doctor who headed up this project um, was uh, not a believer, obviously, but in the course of the project, he became a believer. And today, it's been six years, he has church planting networks underground, multiplying, people being saved, He's been run out of the country twice. He's been in jail three or four times. He's under constant threat. But God is using him in a way that is absolutely remarkable. So here is a health strategy. No other way would they have had access to these villages. They're now believers in quite a few of these villages. Um, So that's an example. This is another program actually works worldwide and can work with all kinds of people. It originated in South Asia. Pearls of great price. Uh, Their tagline is the gospel on the wings of life-saving information. And the, the target people are women and dealing with breast cancer. Okay? And so they would start women's groups. They're basically four lessons that they have devised to train ladies just to know about breast cancer, to know about self-exam, uh, all those things. And um, they, have, they use pictures. It will work with non-literate uh, people as well. Uh, it would work in a place like Europe with upper class. It will work with anybody. Women are very tuned into this and their health. Um, They couple it with Bible stories, and over and over in multiple places, this has led to new groups of believers and church planting. A very simple health strategy that resulted, gave access, you know, um, how else are they going to get to these women? And they were able to do it this way. Uh, This is a program in South Asia. 
alcoholism is a huge problem in the rural villages of India. And the, the village leaders actually came to the community health staff of Bangalore Baptist Hospital and said, is there some way you could help us with this? And this is really a problem. And so what came out of that was this rehab program. They bring participants selected by the village to a what they call a camp for about 12 days. They withdraw them um, and do all the medical, psychiatric, chaplains are there, everybody. And um, then they are in weekly support groups. Um, some of these patients have become believers they have a 41% abstinence rate, which AA is happy when it's 20%. So this is very good. And I was, um, I've had two times that I've interacted with the program. Uh, this picture was taken when a man, they were having the support group, and the chaplain said to a man, uh, tell your story. And this little illiterate villager got up and said his name. And he said, I went to this camp, and I, you know, I drank alcohol, and it was very bad, and we didn't have food, and I couldn't work. I went to this camp, and they didn't let me have anything to drink, and I got very sick. And, uh, but while I was there, I heard this story. And he began to recount, almost word for word, the prodigal son story. And he told the whole story, and then he said, now I know there is a God who loves me, and though I was bad before, now he still loves me, and now I have peace, and now there's peace in my house, and we have food to eat, and I have a job. Uh, Two more men got up and told the same thing. Uh, This last August I was there and went out to a village and met a man who had been through the program. Um, He'd been now many months without alcohol. He had become a believer uh, he had a barber shop, and he was driving a rickshaw, and he had started a group in his house uh, trying to lead them to faith. So this, again, is a health strategy. Addictions and substance abuse is a huge problem. Sometimes people in urban areas, especially in more third world, like uh, or first world, I should say, like Europe, what well, Maybe addiction is, is a way that, you know, of accessing people. Um, this was uh, two doctors in East Asia, and they uh, were assigned to go to this uh, huge city. I guess every city there is huge. And they were to target healthcare professionals. Now, this was actually in the country of China, and it's no different from America. Doctors and healthcare professionals can be very difficult to access. They are self-sufficient. They're well-educated and not too interested. So there they were, and what are they going to do? He was working uh, one or two days a week in an international clinic that mainly dealt with expats. But then he was in this huge hospital making rounds, just observing, making relationships. Uh, He finally asked them if they would like to have specialists come and do some continuing education. Yes, that would be possible. So he got a volunteer anesthesiologist. And ahead of time, the the volunteer sent a list of topics that he could lecture on, including a spiritual topic. So 
they chose the spiritual topic and some others. He arrived. First day, it was the spiritual topic. And at the end of the session, they came to him and said, you can't come back anymore. So he called the missionary and said this. And, of course, the missionary thought, you know, we're all going to be deported. That wasn't the problem. There was a SARS epidemic going on just then. And foreigners were to be quarantined if they were going to go into that hospital. And so they said, you know, you can't come here anymore. That was the only problem. But during that lecture, one lecture, some people came to him and said, we want to talk. He spent his whole week in a tea shop talking to people. Well, that was the beginning. And these two doctors were able to start three churches with healthcare professionals in their first term of service. One of those uh, churches has already multiplied. There's a fourth one. They all now are led by nationals. Um, so all the way from A through E has happened uh, in this strategy, and it's a good example. Uh, and I want to tell you just a little bit about how we did it in the hospital where I served in South India. Um, the Bangalore Baptist Hospital today is a 300-bed hospital. It was um, 40 beds when I went there in the beginning in the 70s. Um, it is a campus of about 15 acres, multi-specialty hospital, uh, treating about 250,000 patients in the hospital. In addition, all of the community health and uh, outreach programs serve thousands more. And I constantly remind them that uh, no one comes alone to the hospital. There are family and visitors. And so at least 500,000 people walk through that hospital every year. And most of them are lost without Jesus Christ. And it is an incredible opportunity and responsibility to share with them. Um, the community health programs include... Um, 50 villages where they're providing um, all health services and special projects like the alcohol project, like a cardiovascular um, screening and risk reduction project, uh, and then all the usual health services. They have a huge disability program. They've started a daycare center for senior folks in the villages. They also work in an urban slum center covering about 75,000 people and are the main provider in that thing. We have a palliative care service, uh, both in the villages and in the city. Chaplains are with all of these and are sharing the gospel regularly. Um, ten chaplains, ministry to staff, ministry to students, ministry to patients, um, and going out in the outreach, and they do follow-up. As people express interest in the gospel, uh, they follow up in their homes and um, then have, if there is ongoing interest, they continue to visit until they're able to get a group and start a Bible study and ultimately they're believers. And just as an example, I'll tell you about this. This is a, an, one of many hundreds of churches that have been started through the ministry of this hospital over 40 plus years. Um, the Petro Baptist Church began when one lady came to the hospital in the 80s and she heard about Jesus and she was interested. She was from a very poor village, 
of migrant stone quarry workers. So the chaplain went to visit her. She, she wanted to know so much about Jesus, and he told her, and she became a believer. She invited in her neighbors, her family, and ultimately there was a group of believers, and the Petro Baptist Church was started. And they met under a tree in the village, and I worshipped with them there. Um, eventually, they got a tiny plot of land, and they put up about a 10 by 20 mud hut church, and they were so thrilled. And in about 2003 or four, they were able to actually build this church. And by then, they had about 100 believers, most of them illiterate. The pastor had been a helper in medical records in the hospital. And God just called him into full-time ministry. He'd never been to seminary or Bible school or anything, and he wasn't a particularly educated man but with a heart and a passion and God's call. And he's still leading that church today. They have started other churches. So uh, that's multiplication. And um, so this is a good example of how um, there is a patient, there is follow-up, there are believers, there's a house church. Some of them remain house churches and multiply. Some become more like this church. All those things uh, one may see. Uh, A book that you absolutely must read. It is Preach and Heal. Um, The first half of the book is really the biblical basis of what we do. And the second half of the book has all kinds of ideas and different strategies. Kind of the stories like I've told you this morning. There are lots of stories like that. And you see different ways in which health care is used. Uh, The author is known as Charles Fielding, and the book is available um, on Amazon for Kindle, and a hard copy is available through the International Mission Board. Um, The book cover, you notice, is a two-handed plow, and you think, what does that have to do with preaching and healing? Um, You need to hold on to both handles of that plow if you're going to go in a straight line, if you're going to reach the end of the row, if you're going to get to where you're going. In the same way, we must must both preach and heal if we are to achieve that vision that we talked about uh, and the mandate that's been given to us. So I would recommend this as a resource that you uh, should read. So in summary, as Christ's followers, our mission is to make disciples. That's true of all Christ followers. As healthcare professionals, our role is to meet the needs of people and to tell them about Jesus Christ. A medical mission is definitely strategic physically and spiritually. And I think I've shown you some examples that would confirm that this morning. And a medical mission can and must lead to church planting. Um, You know, one of the things that I do now is that I'm in mobilization, uh, both to go short-term as volunteers and to go long-term. And when I deal with short-term volunteers and, and we talk about their going, 
you need to know before ever you set out, before ever you work with that partner, how does that medical mission fit into his long-term church planting strategy? Is it strategic? Is it going to help get him to that, that goal, that, that end vision that he has? And, and is it strategic? Um, otherwise, if it's just meeting those needs, any humanitarian group can go do it. Um, and we need to be deployed to where we're going to really be strategic. Um, so, with that, uh, I will open it up for some questions. We still have, I think, some time. Oh, yes, we do. So, um, what questions do you have? Yes. Yeah, that's a big question. Uh, you start with those individuals. Um, obviously, it'll be easier if you have any colleagues or if it's more than just you. It would be far easier if you've got at least one national believer to come alongside you. But basically, you've got individuals and you're going to have to gather them in groups. Another thing to remember is that in many other parts of the world, people... Uh, certainly your response to the gospel is individual, but uh, they tend to make a lot of group decisions. And so there may be family or neighbors or whatever that are going to be involved in this as well. Uh, of course, the family may be opposing as well. That could be the other problem. But you're just going to have to figure out a way to gather them. Um, there, with with technology, even I know in India, for example, um, we are, and, and we're doing this all over the world, we're using a lot of the SD um, memory card things that go in cell phones. It is amazing in these remote parts of the world how many people have cell phones. I mean, this just blows my mind when I look at India and remember how it used to be. Um, and on that little SD thing, we put the Bible, we put worship songs, we put the Jesus film, uh, we put Bible stories, um, all kinds of things that will nurture that person, that will evangelize that person, that he can use to evangelize others, and... Um, even worship songs, gather a group, that can be used to help them worship. Um, so, you know, um, that's just an example of a way. And, and from the beginning, a new believer, we, we teach new believers how to tell their own story of faith. The, the multiplication, the starting the groups is going to happen with them, not you. And he needs to know how to tell his own story, his life before he heard about Jesus, how he heard about Jesus, how he believed in Jesus, and what, what does Jesus mean to him now, 
how, how is his life different? And from that, a simple explanation of the gospel. And you teach him that. And then you ask him, this is probably one-on-one discipleship initially. And then you ask him, okay, uh, list five people uh, that need to hear that this week. Well, he'll have no trouble doing that. Okay, you've got to go tell him them this week. And next week we'll meet. And we'll talk about this. And now you know what you're going to tell them. You go over it again. He, he practices. And so next week you ask him. Uh, well, I talked to three of them. Okay, great. What did they say? Well, one of them wants to know more. Okay, so now you teach him less than what more. What this week he's going to go tell that one. And he's going to tell five more people the first story. Then it's multiplying. It, it happens. It, it will happen. Uh, God's Holy Spirit will, will do that. I don't know if that helped you at all. Another question. You know, I had a lot of opportunities uh, just individually in my own work in the hospital. And, and I'm a surgeon, so um, I, I wasn't. You know, I was pretty well confined to the to the hospital, um, praying with patients before surgery, always with permission, but I never had anybody refuse. Our patients were about 90% Hindu and about 10% Muslim, uh, so that was one thing. Even in the clinic or the wards, you know, I mean, people all over the world are the same. They have their physical complaint, but they've got some family issue or or some financial issue or some whatever problem. And to say, uh, you know, when I face trouble in my life like that, um, Jesus is is my best friend and helps me. Could I tell you how Jesus helps me? And maybe that might mean something to you. Yeah, I'd like to hear that. So then I proceed to start. I I used to, every Sunday, lead a service for the patients in the hospital. Short, 15 minutes, one Bible story, and the gospel. Always had at least one person that would stay afterwards and want to know, tell tell me about that again. Um, So that was another thing. I did discipleship with young professionals, just basic Bible study. Uh, Young doctors, nurses staff, just, you know, anybody interested, and uh, would do that after work, Um, spent a fair amount of time with nurses in the hospital in Bible study and ministries like that, and again, empowering them, encouraging them, discipling them, Um, so, you know, that just gives you a little idea. He asked if there was ever a time when, just by sheer volume of work, it just became um, so over overpowering how to how to handle that. Um, you trust the Lord for strength, and He gives it. Uh, you learn. You need to learn the things that that will. Uh, most uh, give you the most uh, resource of, of energy, 
But the bottom line is whatever God has called you to do. Um, he will make you adequate to whatever that is, whether it's volume of work or the unexpected jobs that you sort of don't know how to do. Um, God, God is your resource, and your time in His Word and, and in prayer has to be protected even in the midst of your workload. Um, and that's, that's a habit that needs to be solidly in you even now. Um, so, you know, and, and being in His Word and, and in prayer, it doesn't mean necessarily that every day you're going to have an hour to do that. It may be short, but it's there. And it, all through the day in the crises, you're, you're, that's your grounding. Does that help? Yes. Uh, what was your hospital's uh, view from, like, in competition with government hospitals? And how, how did you uh, work well or not? Or what were the issues that you encountered? Because they know you're sharing the gospel. And this and yeah. This. Our hospital's uh, position relative to other non-Christian and government hospitals. Um, the hospital is located in a very large city. So we had uh, co- competition medically. And um, we, we made sure that our relationships were positive to every extent possible. That is very important. And, and yet our uniqueness as a Christian hospital, um, every, uh, you know, all hospitals have crises, and sometimes they have them together in a community. I made sure that our response would be, um, as a Christian hospital, one of faith, one of uh, moving forward, one of trusting God. Uh, we had a labor crisis. Our, our whole, all the hospitals were having. And uh, it was very threatening. Uh, and I won't go into details, but it, it was bad for many months. And I said, look, others have this problem too, but how we respond, how we deal with the union, what we do uh, in response uh, is going to give testimony to our Christian faith. And it did. And, um, you know, contrary to the others, we never had a strike. And I remember one day our very orthodox Brahmin Hindu lawyer, who's a dear friend, said to me when, again, nothing had happened, we'd been prepared for the worst disaster. And he said, you know, there must be some divine presence in your hospital uh, today and I said, sir, there is, but it's not just today; it's every day, and God is there. And he said, you know, I, I think that's right. I said, yeah, it is. So, um, you know, uh, that's that's how you you do it. Somebody had a hand, yes. She asked about visas in India for health care, and she asked about mobile clinic work. Um, 
today the visa issue is huge and um, probably it would be extremely difficult to get and not only visa but permission to practice medicine. So, um, you know, uh, if God is going to have you serve in a particular place, he's going to open the way. If the way is not open, he may be directing you to some other place, um, and you wait on him. Mobile clinic work, the hospital is very much reaching out into villages. Um, Some villages are predominantly Hindu. Some are predominantly Muslim. Uh, A chaplain is with the team. Uh, They go out. They provide health care. They have all, you know, the village leaders are totally involved in the program. Uh, We are there with their blessing, Uh, and it's a cooperative effort. Um, So, and, and obviously if someone is in need of more care, they go into the base hospital. Somebody else? Yes. Training in America versus what your work environment is there, and how does that impact your daily life? Is that? Time consuming. Uh, no, I don't see that much difference. Um, obviously, training in a medical center in the U.S., which is a, obviously a sophisticated, technologically oriented environment, um, most likely where you work overseas won't be that way uh, to that level, and it wasn't when I went. Um, Today, it almost is, but then it wasn't. Um, But it didn't really affect time so much. Uh, I think the important point is standard of care. Um, You have to compromise on some things. But you need to be sure that there are certain standards of your care that you will not compromise on. Um, you know, and, and the same would apply to the time given to it. Uh, you must, excellence in performance is essential to your Christian witness. And that applies not just to us as healthcare people, it applies to everybody. I used to tell folks in the hospital, housekeeping. If the hospital is dirty and poorly maintained, our witness is no longer really credible. And as a healthcare professional, if I don't give the very best care that I can with the training, knowledge, equipment, and resources that I have, then my, my witness about Jesus is not credible. And so that was really the standard that I tried to always remember and keep before me and to lead our, our staff to, uh, to do that. Um, 
that is just true no matter what profession you are or what you do. Uh, we do our work unto the Lord. And that is, that is, you know, keep that in mind. And it affects kind of how you perform. So, there is time for one question quickly if you want to ask it. I thank you so much for coming and for your attention and hiking all the way over here. And uh, thank you very much. I'm in the Baptist Global Response booth, 1307, if any of you want to stop by and ask questions.